welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. This is our episode on the Murderbot Diaries. And can I say first, I'm sorry it's so late. Hopefully you listened to Peter's PSA episode. And 37 of you did. Thank you. Yeah, yes, as of now, 37 the true, did. The true fans. <laughs> Give it up. No, we appreciate it for those of you who listened and for those of you who didn't and who are mad. Uh, basically, I had a really bad cold and was coughing and gravelly and miserable and it just wasn't going to happen. You might even get a touch of that tonight because colds don't go away so easy as it turns out. But point is, what? we're here, we're doing our best and, uh, you know, ready to go. <laughs> Peter All has right, a very see. exciting announcement to share with you guys, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I didn't realize we were just going to like kind of team me up for that, but okay. <laughs> um, so... If we sound, um, first of all, a little, you know, potted out, maybe our, t- our voices aren't so golden as they usually are, <laughs> it's because Cece and I were, did a guest spot on um, a, another science fiction podcast, and it's, you know, more popular than ours, so if you found ours, you've probably found his. Uh, and that's the Hugh Goes There podcast, um, where the our, our friend, the host Seth, he uh, is going through the Hugh Goes There books. And so we did a bit with him for on Foundation's Edge. So um, kind of, I guess we'll take care of this on top of the show. Foundation's Edge and Second Foundation are going to be our next uh, episode, but we'll talk about that at the end. Anyway, so that's why we're um, maybe a little bit a little bit weary, but definitely real motivated. It was a lot of fun, and uh, that'll be coming out relatively soon. Yep. So please go check out Seth's podcast, Hugo's There, or the Hugo's There podcast. I think is the full name. Okay. I mean, I know the website's Hugo'sPodcast.com. Well, there you go. <laughs> Peter, how did you like the Murderbot Diaries? Well, unsurprisingly, Cece, they were a fucking delight. They were a delight, man. But they were such a grim delight. <laughs> they were, there was a fair amount of sort of, like, ugliness going on. But, man, the narration just brought you through it. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Like, I don't... I guess you're right. There, It was pretty grim. It wasn't all, you know... Happy things, and um, obviously that's not great, but it, man, like, that was just so clever, and there was, there was some excellent jokes, and it was a lot more relatable than this, like, idyllic, perfect um, protagonist. Yes, I would say that's true, and I mean, honestly, when I say grim, like, it's not so much about the storyline, although there are, you know, dark parts, but mostly it's just kind of a sci-fi action storyline. But um, mostly I'm talking about the the world that it's set in is kind of really depressing. The idea that there are like these sort of almost, I would say, politically autonomous corporations that can, and at one point do, go to war with each other. And the fact that if you are not a, like, you have to declare yourself not a corporation. It's, like, so default to be a corporation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was very dystopian. Like... Very cause, extreme capitalism. Because they weren't, you know, benevolent corporations. Like nope. they, Because I have... I cannot remember the name of the series, but I did read a series where it was, like, the government was failing because it was, you know, inept and all that. And... As governments are. And, um... <laughs> so the corporation stepped in and created this, like, guiding light. And it was weirdly positive, and I'm going to try to remember the name of it, because I think it would be an interesting skew from our normal Kind of sounds like propaganda to me, Peter, I'm going to be honest. I mean, 
call it what you want. It was pretty good, though. It's not likely. I was just talking to Maria <laughs> earlier tonight about how awful Tesla and Apple are as companies. Um, yeah. Not their products, their companies. But anyway, um, so you know, I'm not really, I don't have a very positive viewpoint of uh, companies. But I, there was a weird <laughs> You do book. not idealize them. I, I do not idealize them. The book did. But anyway, this book did not. <laughs> this book was basically Murderbot crapping all over a corporation, specifically the one that it worked for. The company, whose name we never got. Yes, just the company. Maybe it's called The Company. You never know. We, did, we both read the audiobook, so we couldn't tell if it was a proper name. <laughs> you know, I, I have an ongoing issue with the, the audiobook kind of theme because we always say we read the audiobook, and it just doesn't seem right. No? What doesn't seem right? The fa- We didn't read shit. <laughs> we listened to the audiobook. I could be illiterate and run this podcast and know how many of the podcasts... <laughs> you, uh, and audio- you are. And I am. It's really <laughs> a bummer. It's to my eternal shame. But you are the first illiterate person to have a bo- podcast all about books, so that's good. I wouldn't say that. There are lots of podcasts out there. We haven't listened to them. <laughs> that's well, true. actually, you might have. one where the whole bit is being illiterate when <laughs> <laughs> talking about books. It's what the the host is illiterate and the co-host reads the books to him. <laughs> oh, speaking oh of hymns, we're going to mess up Murderbot's pronoun Did situation there the whole episode. So just buckle up. It's not intentional. We're not trying to like make some sort of political stance. Oh, you know. Yeah. Like it's everyone <laughs> everyone needs a he or a she pronoun. Yada yada. No, we're just dumb. We're real fucking dumb. That's so true. Uh, um, just, I we're, we're going to do this. I do also kind of think that we're more inclined to refer to Murderbot as a him because um, the narrator for the audiobook is male. Yes. And in a way, like, you know, me usually, I, I'm all about the audiobook, but I kind of wonder if it would have been better to read the physical book or the ebook and Interesting. sort of not assign gender because, like, Murderbot's pretty clear about it. It's, it's not a gendered thing. It doesn't need to be gendered. And because that doesn't have anything to do with the purpose it serves. And there's no sexuality about it or anything. So, <laughs> Cece, have you watched The Good Place? Yeah, I've watched The Good Place. It but... makes me think of Janet. <laughs> I'm not a she. Not a she. Not a girl. <laughs> Thank you. I am not a girl. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's so... like a way more pleasant murder bot. <laughs> she's a super pl- Oh, she's a comfort unit. <clears throat> uh, that's a sex bot, Peter. Comfort unit. Sex bot. Comfort. Um, <laughs> I'm team murder bot. Anyway. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say, Janet did have a thing going with one of the characters of the good place. So, like, you know, technically. Technically kind of a sex bot. Technically kind of, yeah, kind of a sex bot, yeah. I mean, like, spoilers. Retroactive spoilers. I'm going to say who it was. Yeah, but, like, whatever. It, that's a different piece Moving of on. Media. That's for our other podcast. The, the good place fan cast. <laughs> The good place, place. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway. So, (laughs) I don't know about you, Peter, but going in, I kind of thought Murderbot was going to be a much meaner character. And I think Murderbot thinks Murderbot's going to be a meaner character. Do you know what I mean? Heart of gold, though. Yeah. No, totally. Like, it basically starts out by being like, yeah, I haven't done as much murdering as I thought I was going to. <laughs> and like initially the whole the whole governor module hacking is sort of shrouded in mystery both to us and to murderbot and it, it it's just sort of like 
you don't really know why the governor module was hacked and you don't really know like what Murderbot's doing and it just slowly becomes clear that he's just hanging out and like watching tv (laughs) and like a lot more tame than you expected i mean i don't know what your expectations were but like Murderbot has a connotation murders lots of humans yes well what i didn't expect was for Murderbot to be this construct and that was like human and machine i did think that was really interesting when i read the description and i read some of the reviews when we were figuring out hey this is going to be our next book um i kind of pictured like when i heard Murderbot, i kind of pictured like you know i don't know like a a combat robot attached to like a marine division or like a security you watch i guess in that case i was right but like like a marine unit or something who just like went in rolled in killed things left like had like the body of a tank like that's kind of what i was imagining in my head you were picturing a combat unit oh no no i was picturing like imagine a tank but little and fits in rooms and rolls around and is autonomous oh that's what i was imagining not humanoid not humanoid at all like just a robot in like you know whatever the most form (laughs) Like a, a small tank. Yeah, like a form follows function situation. And that's what I was picturing. And I was kind of thinking it would be funny if it got, like, you know, it was, like, found out it was autonomous. It got, like, into poetry or something. Like, that's kind <laughs> of where I saw this going, and it did not happen. <laughs> that That's really funny. I like your vision of it a lot. Yeah, I like that. But, but you know, whatever. I, it's fine. <laughs> I, do, I do think that the author could have gone that direction. And it, it makes me wonder why they went with the idea of a construct. I guess... One interesting dynamic that you get from Murderbot being a construct is the idea that, and I think he has this conversation with Mensa, people look at Murderbot and they're like, either, well, obviously he can pass for human and does for a while, Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, even if people look at him and know he's a sec unit, it's impossible for them not to sort of impose humanity on him. And that comes up, like, again and again, where he he gets upset because people are constantly trying to look at his face and see what his reactions are and treat him like a human. And people think that he wants to be treated like a human. And he's like, no, I am my own thing. I'm cool with what I am. Stop trying to make me more like you just because I look like you. Right, and it's trying to... It's, like, again and again going, I don't want to be human. Like, you guys are kind of terrible. (laughs) <laughs> Which honestly is fair. And weak. Yeah. And it, I think it's really interesting when it makes the observations about how real life people never work like the people in the media. Yeah. Um, which is a funny thing that happens to a lot of people um, that get really into things like that. So it, was, it, it well, the whole time it's contesting that it's not a, not a human, not a human, like not actually a person. Um, it's. Not a girl. Not a girl. Um, <laughs> it's getting really invested in these things and doing something that's just so human, which is like expecting people to act in a rational way, to follow the story as it's supposed to be told, shit like that. Yeah. I mean, even so, it does have like a pretty good, I would say, insight into humans that I don't think it realizes it has. Mm-hmm. You hear it talk about, well, you know, in TV, it has to be this way because of these reasons. But in reality, it's never like that. And it's, I'm sitting here, I'm like, hmm, that's right. <laughs> nope, that's fair, yeah. Like, yeah, good call. That's that's an interesting point. Thank you, Murderbot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Murderbot. The voice of reason. Um, I, this guy gets it. Speaking of the media, I really love that uh, 
I love the ongoing joke about how crappy the like training software they gave him was. Yes. And he's like, I learned most of my security knowledge from the media. <laughs> I'm a sec unit. My entire knowledge came from the media. Who ch- yeah, who programmed is- me? It, it's really fun seeing it all from the perspective of essentially a shoddy piece of equipment. Yeah, but like it's self-aware, so it knows it's shoddy. A self-aware shoddy piece of equipment. And I think what's more, you've sort of it becomes clear over time that because of its hacked governor module, Murderbot's like way more effective at its job than either it used to be or that other sec units are, because it has independence. And it's just that humans are lucky that it doesn't actually want to murder as much as maybe it thought it might. <laughs> as, as much as it kind of was thinking it was going to, but no. Well, I don't know. Do you think the murder bot name came from thinking, oh, yeah, going to do lots of murdering? Or do you think it came from his incident in the mines? Uh, I don't know. It seems kind of hard to tell. Because it gives me a taste of, like, self-flagellation. Maybe, especially because it was so insecure when um, when the uh, preservation team read its files and I think Mensa or somebody was like, okay, what's your name? And somebody else said Murderbot. It called itself Murderbot. It was, um, and he's like, that's that's personal. It was G- Garothan. Yeah, Garothan calls him out and, and Murderbot's like, no, that's personal. Like, it seemed really unhappy that they brought it up and were using it out loud. But then it, beca- it comes to own it by the end of the fourth book and, like, actually signs notes by it and stuff. It's nice. Yeah. And it's nice to see his metamorphosis from this piece of equipment, which is really, it's faulty. Like, it's a bad piece of equipment that was faulty. And yeah. he goes from that to having to hide his entire existence to this, you know, savior who helped his friends when they were in big trouble and kind of he comes into a realization that there is a world for him out there. It's not just the the corporate politi- polities. It's not just, you know, being some human's plaything. There's a world that's ready to, you know, accept him. Mind you, for his specific skills, like, they're like, all right, yeah, I guess it's worth it. But um, <laughs> it's something, at least. Well, I think that the skill set that it has is kind of a gift and a curse in a lot of ways. Because on the one hand... I think the spectacular job it's always doing in rescuing the humans that it's protecting are it, it, it invites a lot of adoration and attachment. Like a lot of the humans who have been saved by Murderbot are like, oh man, Murderbot's the best. Yes. <laughs> be be it a you know augmented human that they think it is or a a sec unit itself, but like there's a lot of admiration there and that is very helpful to, I guess, in building relationships. But on the other hand, there's a a high degree of intimidation and sort of suspicion that a lot of people have towards sec units. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that Murderbot had to go through in the whole series was figuring out that not everybody was going to be intimidated by him. And there's that awesome freaking moment, like one of the best moments in the series, I think, in the fourth book, where Murderbot's about to, like, fucking lose it on some people on the on the com- corporation ship yeah and mensa just stands him down and is like you're not gonna do that and shows that she's not afraid of it and it, it's sort of in a way like assigns personhood to it 
where it's like, no, you are on my level, and, like, I'm addressing you as an equal, even though you totally are my physical superior, it, it, I feel like it just, it makes, it, it brings that relationship to ground. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? No, that makes absolute sense. Because when you are physically way more powerful than basically everyone you interact with, it makes sense that to kind of be reminded that you're not, um, it, it can ground, can, yeah, you're right, it can ground you and kind of make you feel like, not a person, but as, like a sentient, like in, like a, yeah, sapient, as a, like saying. a sapient, yes. Um, I'm reminded very strongly of CC in the Adventure Zone, um, <laughs> The Gaia Sash. One of the best podcasts one ever. One of the best podcasts ever. Uh, but the Gaia Sash, like, the whole point of that arc is to beat her in a race to remind her she's not a god. Ah, yeah, that's interesting. That's kind of what I'm thinking about now. I didn't make that connection at all, but I see what you're saying. Because when you have, like, you can literally shoot blasts out of your arms. Like, that's pretty, that's some shit. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna give you kind of like a weird god complex. So when the squishy humans stand you up and stand up to you, and you realize, yeah, you're a little bit intimidated. Okay, like that's gotta be a huge changing moment for Murderbot. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's it's a, a big moment. part of the reason why in the fourth book, Murderbot stays. Yes, Mur- like Murderbot tries, like thinks about leaving, plans to leave, doesn't leave, and. <laughs> You know, I think it's because yeah. uh, Dr. Mensa showed him that they're the same. Yeah. I mean, and that's just like the fact that it bought a ticket to, to peace out, basically, and then just didn't go when the ticket came up and just hung out in Mensa's office and was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. It was just so sweet. And like, I don't know, man, I loved that. The, part of me is wondering if he bought the ticket to kind of test the people on their promise that that he could. could yeah like they weren't gonna try to stop him yeah and I think there's something to be said for that but I, I really do think that you're right that it's him not being kind of lost and pushing the way and his his move in the past has always been to leave and for the first time right. he's wondering if he has to Right, and I think he realizes he doesn't have to, and I think that's because he feels sort of seen. Because before, the first time Preservation tried to sort of embrace him and take him home with them, um, it basically left because it was like, okay, yeah, they mean well, but they actually don't understand me at all, and they're trying to basically trap me, and they, they can't see that, and they're taking my freedom away essentially and so like because they didn't have a full understanding of murderbot they it it felt like it couldn't be home there you know but then i think that when you get to the end point and like yeah now mensa's seen you pretty much in all ways you know at your worst and at your best and she understands where she went wrong with you and you know now now you feel like she actually has some degree of understanding of you now it's no longer compromising to stay there and to like allow yourself to i guess not give over to this relationship because i don't want to like make it seem like it has a sort of romantic significance or anything like that but you know what i mean just i think it's just a very very important friendship yeah i i think a big part of it's also is that the first time preservation ox tried to take him with them it struck me a lot more as like if you're walking down the street and you find a dog without a collar and you adopt him 
<laughs> yeah, that's a really good analogy. And like this one, they just want to bring like, oh, it's this, it's this. You know, say you like walked down the street and you found a pit bull, but it was a really sweet pit bull, and it didn't have a collar yeah. on, and and you were like, oh, come home with me, I'll take care of you. Like you're not like the other ones. Like it's preservation Ox isn't trying, isn't saying like, oh yeah, secunes, oh secunes are always great. They're just saying, oh this one, this one helped us, and so we like this one, or this one seems different, and we're gonna take you home. Um. Yeah. But I think the second time it was much more sense of preservation ox wanting saying like that. I think they were had an opportunity to really ram home the idea to Murderbot that no, they're they're together because Murderbot remember like he didn't sit around with them waiting for the rescue. He didn't. He wasn't part of any of that. He was unconscious the whole time. So he's in one moment he's just doing his job, helping his his clients and protecting right. his humans. And right. then he's all of a sudden in a company pod and being told that Preservation Ox bought him. So right. I can see that being kind of a bad a bad way to interact with or to transition to that. Yeah, and I don't I just think that it didn't feel understood and it didn't feel like it was gonna be able to live a life that would make it happy. Even though it doesn't know what that life is, which is one of the most relatable things about Murderbot, honestly. I was reading a, um, a critic review um, late last week, which was the, the title was Murderbot, the most or the most human character of modern sci-fi, <laughs> which I think Murderbot would have objected to, but it's fine. Um, and it really did ram home the idea of like Murderbot's dealing with depression and anxiety. And these are real present issues in a lot of us. And yes, it you know, tried to find its own way. And a lot of the depression and anxiety came from it being almost felt like it was being forced into this role that it wasn't totally comfortable filling. Like it would prefer not to be, you know, murdering humans all day or protecting humans all day or what have right. you. It thinks. I mean, later on, you find you kind of seem to realize that protecting humans is really what it would, wants to do. But um, yeah, but it's hard to realize that it's what you want to do when you're being forced. Exactly, to do it. and you want to have the opportunity, to, or maybe you protect them in a different way. But you want to have the opportunity to try to kind of stretch, stretch your legs and see what else is out there. And um, you know, a lot of people feel feel trapped into that, which I think is why the the critic made such a fine or uh, made such a big point of it. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I, another another great quote from the book is where he was talking about how um, they had there's there's all these different sort of state like grades of intelligence among the different AIs and bots and constructs and all of that. Like, there's a lot of different classes of technology in that whole category, which I think is really interesting. But um, specifically, it makes a point of saying that. Seg units had to be smarter because they had to have like real critical thinking skills and um, be able to respond quickly and then, you know, also become kind of organic so that people would be able to trust them better and like allow them to do their jobs. And he's like, depression and anxiety was just a side effect of like greater intelligence. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I kind of like it. I mean, depression and anxiety are just on the rise like crazy these days. And I think part of the problem, or not part of the problem necessarily, but part of the sort of... Cause? Maybe, or at least like correlation is that the world is becoming... It's like sort of running better on its own. 
And so people have more free time and like <laughs> more, I guess, options. And the number of options I, I think are sometimes kind of crippling. And I think I, I do relate to Murderbot being like, well, yeah, there's all sorts of things I can do. And like, I don't know if I want to do any of them. And like, what if I want to do none of them? And just feeling completely frozen by that. I think that that probably plays into anxiety for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not having being feeling like you have to find um have to find a path and and having no idea what that path could possibly be and it kind of coming towards you uncontrollably is definitely why a lot of people feel that way. Yes. And I mean, especially it's like you see a lot in high school how like high school oh depressions God, on the rise yes. and all that. And there is basically these children being forced to feel like they have to make a decision and that's where we find Murderbot. <laughs> in a way, uh, a sec unit In a way, we're a all hack- our own Murderbot. <laughs> in a way, a sec unit with a hacked governor module is basically a teenager. <laughs> that makes high school make a lot more sense, to be honest. Yeah, you know when you become a teenager, you start to realize that your parents don't have all the answers and then... And you can hack your governor uh, module? Yeah, that's basically... The, that's the analogous you hacking your governor module. <laughs> And then, That's actually a really good analogy. It like, kind of actually is, right? <laughs> you said I think this started as a joke, but that's an excellent analogy. So, like, your, your governor module no longer has direct power over the way you think, but you still are influenced by it because you still feel like you have to obey it. And even though you have sort of intellectual freedom, you don't get to exercise it just yet. So basically the first book was Murderbot in his adolescence. <laughs> Still living at and then, home. In oh, <laughs> the end, Murderbot sulked off. <laughs> he did sulk off. He does a lot of sulking off, actually. It's great. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> um, Pretty much Drax. That's hilarious. <laughs> anyway. Um, Why do you think he keeps doing the job, though, Peter? I think he's doing it because he... I think he legitimately wants to help people um because you know he doesn't like the part of being a sec unit where it involves just killing a ton of people right he likes the part when he gets to actually protect his humans i think you see it a lot in how he thinks about his people and how he just or how it describes them he or it oh god um <laughs> it goes into it and it's it's very paternal well mental it's very parental parental <laughs> <laughs> um and almost almost to a degree of being a little bit um oh what's the word patronizing that's exactly it patronizing because he's like oh yes my humans like got gotta protect my humans oh there's oh they're just bumbling into each other those those adorable my little humans <laughs> yeah exactly gotta gotta make sure they're safe and it's it's very funny because especially when it's once he likes, well, really only when it's when he likes. Right. So I think he's doing the job. He's not doing the job for just anyone. He's only doing the job for people he's kind of imprinted on. <laughs> it's it's true. preservation ox, and he goes to uh, the terraforming planet and meets kind of that gang and comes to like them, but meets them and does the mission because uh, of Doctor Mensa. 
And a lot of the things are motivated motivated by that. And he meets these humans who are just in need of help because they're idiots. Right. And he's like, all right, fine, I'll help you out. And then when they get keep getting in trouble, and he's like, oh, my humans. He just can't resist, man. He, can't he resist just can't resist a human in trouble. I guess <laughs> I, I think to an extent it likes, it doesn't like people fearing it unless it, unless that's its intent. You know what I mean? It wants to be the, the hero, not the villain. It wants to be understood. If it wants to un- people to understand that it's threatening them, it wants them to understand. If it <laughs> wants people to like like understand that he's trying to be nice, he wants them to understand. That's true. It's like, yes, I am a more physically powerful being than you, but but also I'm on your team. So But I have feelings too. I and I also love soap operas, okay? <laughs> I'm I'm multidimensional. I'm a fully realized creation. <laughs> Thank you, Cece, for getting my stupid joke. Well, you know, two Taz references in an episode. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that is the point. Like, in that, and we, we joke, but that's an excellent point. Yes. Like, he is a complete being. He's not just a sec unit there to watch humans kill other things, watch media. Like, it is there to... I mean, it exists to kind of its own purpose at this point. Right. Now, it makes me wonder how much internal dialogue sec units have, even with their governor modules. You know? Uh, yeah, I know. But, I I mean, we don't really have any kind of window into that. No, we don't, which is unfortunate. But I'm just thinking about the fact that, like, the he had to sec unit so he can act in – he can independently – like, he, he can act with his own agency. Right. But I'm wondering if the government module would regulate action and not thought. Because it seems like there's a little bit of freedom in there. When we meet the comfort unit, I'm not sure if a name's ever given, but the comfort unit in, I think I'm it's the third book? Second, second book? Second book. Yeah. Um, is actively, not actively, it's, it's opposing its human, its owner, through its kind of decisions and what to inform her of and how kind of it's working against her and for its own interests, but its governor module isn't stopping him. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if basically all the, the constructs are locked in. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe to an extent, it sounds like part of the role of the governor module is to punish you when you are disobedient, which then implies that you have the option of being disobedient. You're not being, like, physically uh-huh. compelled to follow orders. Like, you're expected to follow orders, and there are consequences to not following orders. Severe enough that everyone follows orders, but technically you have the option to disobey them. And, I mean, that literally has to be possible in order for Murderbot to have actually gone through the motions of hacking its governor module. That's a good point. So, which it kind of makes this universe way worse to me. Yeah. Well, Murderbot even says, uh, he was talking about sec units that don't have hacked governor modules. He's like, less anxious, but probably more depressed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's terrible, but you're right. (laughs) So it seems like there is a degree of awareness that you're being controlled, which is really depressing. And it's, it's got some real ethical implications there. That's true. That's true. It really is, it's a big leap. Like, I think that, obviously, androids are a very common idea in sci-fi. 
But the idea of constructs in this sense, where they literally are created and dominated by a corporation, but they have organic parts and tissues, they have like an organic brain and all of that. I mean, our society would have to go through some major changes, I think, to treat tissues so so casually. You know what I mean? Like, right now, we oh, yeah. don't even eat lab-grown meat, most of us. <laughs> like, I, I think that that's still a hard sell these days. None of us eat meat like, at all. Yeah, like, Could you imagine be having to treat something like that as property, like throwawayable property? Right. And then, I mean, obviously, there's still some sort of reaction to seeing, like, the, the tissue parts because <laughs> there's kind of a comedic... Uh, sort of like darkly comedic twist when um, when he's initially really badly injured in the first book and he's just like dripping and like bits of him are falling off <laughs> just like gaping wounds and everyone's like sickened to look at it <laughs> yeah and he's always talking about leaking yeah I mean so this <sighs> I think that like most humans would have a natural reaction to that as though you're seeing a you know biologic like a truly biological organic animal in pain right but the fact that we're using i don't know that we're basically creating human bodies basically augmented human bodies from scratch and controlling them through code is pretty messed up and people just accept it it's a part of life in that world not just controlling them through code but like it's not like we indoctrinate them it's controlling them through like punishment that too yeah it's like, both. It, it seems worse to me. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it's not, it's just, it's bad. It's not for, it's not great. <laughs> um, okay. Well, one of the other things I want to talk about was kind of like the level of technology in this universe. And it's just very much, it kind of bounces off that a little bit. It's very throwaway. <laughs> they're like, yeah, this thing. And they're like, yeah, we can make wormholes. Like, not a big deal. That's very true. They're so casual about it all. And really, it seems like I mean, I'm sure there's progress. There wouldn't be, you know, need for like corporate espionage if there wasn't progress. But it's just a matter of like, you guys. This book takes a major stand on the side of sci-fi, where because I feel like there's a lot of different kinds of sci-fi. The two of the main ones, though, are like the science is just as important as everything else. Like it's a major part of it too. Just kind of like the author's theories about where science is going and how it'll work and all that. Whether well, there's the, like, telling a story, a fascinating story in the context of that science. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, the latter is where more of this book lies. It tells the interesting story and asks some um, very personal questions about kind of human or sentient agency and what that means for something that's just developing it. It asks those questions, but I don't know that it has answers. I mean, I don't think anyone has answers. Like, I think it's very it's a very mature of the author to go, this is an open question. Like, I don't think it's, I think, I don't think it's a matter of, like, oh, I want to, the answer's coming in book six, guys. Like, just keep on buying them. <laughs> I think it's really it's a matter of the author acknowledging the fact that we don't have the answers. I don't think we'll have the answers until something like this happens. And even then, I don't think we'll be satisfied with them. Yeah. And, I mean, I feel, I, I'm a pretty cautious person. And to me, it doesn't seem worth it to go down this technological route if we can't answer those ethical questions, because it's so exploitative. And it's funny that, I mean, Preservation Ox is kind of represented as like this 
hippy dippy like <laughs> almost commune planet and <laughs> they're the ones who are like no we acknowledge constructs as as sapient beings but you know you still need to have human sponsors and stuff and like we're you know things are better there but they're not you're still not being treated equally so they're they're the real outliers everywhere else in this universe everyone's just fine with the way that constructs are being used and controlled and dominated and 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 subjugated and it's it's just becomes like a part of the way of life in a way that's pretty unsettling it says an unsettling thing about the universe this is set in i mean that's not entirely new though like you look at any example of slavery throughout history yeah it's just an accepted fact yeah this race is created to serve this other race like this caste exists for at the leisure of this other caste right and people come up with all sorts of excuses like well you know clearly they're just better designed for this exactly and so i'm designed to be to watch them work they're designed to do the work right and so when we look at the the murderbot diaries you see a universe that's like that where there's an accepted status quo and yeah. nothing's really going to change it. Now, the reason why I think it's been, you can justify it being so long of a thing in this universe and hasn't been done away with, like basically well, at this point, basically every other state sponsored level of slavery. Hmm. Um, I need a lot of qualifiers in there. So someone doesn't call me out. Although honestly, at this point, no, I feel like no one's going to, contact us uh, <laughs> so if you if you look at them they you know basically they they were always overthrown eventually by someone whether it was someone in the ruling caste whether it was someone in the subjugated race um however that worked they, they basically all ended but if you look at the murderbot universe you see the corporations who are for profit every single one of them is 100 percent for profit so mm-hmm. it profits them to have these servants in place and right all these servants have been forced to have basically perfect obedience. Right. So, so it explains why it's been around so long. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta admire these non-political or non-corporate polities who like, you're right. It's not perfect, but they, they're trying, they're doing the best they can. Right. They at least have sort of like a moral guideline for their governing which it doesn't seem like there's a lot of with the corporations. I mean, I'm sure they're not all evil, you know, but they do all seem to be pretty, I mean, they're profit driven, you know, it, it, that's, that's what corporations are. Even like pretty ethical ones are profit driven. That's the point. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, speaking of the corporations, something that we didn't, we don't have in our little topic list, but I'm going to drop it in there anyway. Uh, <laughs> I want to know more about these corporate courts. Like, is there a corporation yeah. out there that just exists to provide provide a judicial system, or are the corporations <laughs> they contract out their judges? Yeah, exactly. Or are there corporations that um, like, do they sit on like juries against other corporations? Like, how does this work? And That's it, a very good. It question. seems weird because if there's no like, because the way that works in the real world is the government's the ultimate power. It can. Right. It has a it, one of its duties is to maintain a fair and just court system. Asterisk. Um, yes. So, like, I don't understand how it would work in this whole universe where everything's for profit. Yeah, the, they're like governing. It, it, go, governance is very vague in this universe. Like, 
I, I feel that most of the time when you're reading a book that has sort of humans are spread out across the galaxy, there's some degree of either different individual like planets or systems have their governments, or there is one overarching like empire type government. I have this one really seems to have nothing, and it doesn't seem like there's public law enforcement. It all seems to be kind of private security. It's um, it's grim. <laughs> Doesn't speak well for uh, for law and order in this universe. Um, Which is probably why, because the entire fourth book, I'm like, how is any of this allowed to happen? <laughs> Where Great Chris just literally kidnaps and demands ransom for Mensa, and apparently they can do that, and nobody cares. Yeah, you're right, and it's kind of ridiculous. I do have a theory though. On how uh-huh. this kind of how the interaction between these corporations work, because at one point they're talking about corporate citizens, and okay. I think the way it works is that systems might be dominated by one corporation or another, but I don't think systems are ever totally controlled by one corporation or another. I think basically every corporation or every corporation that wants to can have a presence in basically every every other system, and whose like rules and regulations you answer to. Because in the end of the day. It's just an employee handbook, basically. It's an employee <laughs> handbook with jail time. Like, I think the... So freaking weird. Where all your laws come from, where your punishment, theoretically, unless, like, you wrong another corporation, comes from is your own corporation because you're a corporate citizen. So it's like if a bunch of countries existed in the same location, except who you report to or who you pay taxes to is all based on who your exact government was. Hmm. It's a terrible system. It's an awful yeah. system, but that's the only way I can kind of reconcile to me all the stuff that was mentioned in the book and also like with how logic works. <laughs> yes. I don't know. There were a lot of things I had questions about that I would love the author to go into in more depth. One of them is definitely the origin of constructs and sec units and all of that. Like I was just there was like a paragraph on it and I think the fourth book and I was drinking it in and then it was just over before before it began. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you gave me so little to work with here. But it was very interesting how they used to sort of be autonomous and would just sort of run with human troops and, like, uh, it, was, it was cool. No, it's really... I wish we could learn more about it. I do want more of that. I kind of want, like, a Caves of Steel-esque, like, prequel to it. I have not read Caves of Steel. Um, but that's an Asimov, right? Yeah, it's. I I believe it's like early on in the development of robots in the Foundation series universe. Very cool. Um, worth a read, but anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll we'll, we'll cover those at some point, though. They're good books. Um, yes, or so I've been told. I've started reading the first one, but I didn't have time. Um. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that that's kind of my always my beef with um a lot of sci-fi books, though. It's just like, man, I want to know more about the history, but like. Yeah. Like, I wonder how you got from 10,000 years, in like, from now to 10,000 years in the future, but they, obviously, they just can't do it. It's definitely a downside of the, um, the, uh, format of the novella, because on the one hand, the novella makes it super consumable and, like, episodic, and keeps everything moving at a good, fast pace, so you don't really get bored at any point. Oh, yeah. But on the other hand, there's not a ton of time for exposition. Oh, yeah. And... If that's part of, you know, what you're looking for in a book, uh, you might be left a little bit, uh, a little bit disappointed by the lack of that. But, I mean, really, it's a pretty small complaint 
these books are very entertaining. I like them a lot. I do. I mean, yeah, like, they're not perfect. They do have some faults that we've mentioned, but, like, they are definitely excellent books that I will be rereading at some point. Yes, for and sure. I will recommend them to my friends. Like, these are good books. <laughs> yes, I would definitely say so. All right. Um, What else do we... Well, maybe we can find, like, our last topic, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Do you have a suggestion? No, I did the last two. It's your it's your job now. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, well, in that case, we can talk about um, the we, we can talk about Mickey. Okay, let's talk about Mickey. I don't think we've talked about the third book really at all. I mentioned it briefly um, when I was talking about human pets. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yes, you alluded to it. Uh, I mean, that's even something Murderbot talked about before it met Mickey and went on that whole little adventure. Um, I did think it was funny how it wasn't there, like, Murderbot wasn't there in the role of a sec unit, but still ended up getting roped into it anyway, just because it has this, like, this strong sense of morality and it promised Mickey that it would help, and so now it feels like it has to. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, Murderbot acted sort of without thinking like as soon as it realized that there was a hazard incoming it wasn't like it sat there and did a calculation it was like eh, should i do it do i have to it just was instantly you know responding to protect the humans because it was cool with the humans and it's funny because it's so annoyed by mickey at first yes and and sort of throughout honestly i would say yeah but like and, and it's annoyed by the way Donna Benna and Mickey interact and how Donna Benna is always like, oh, poor Mickey, you sweet little baby boy. <laughs> and, and their relationship's kind of like very overly affectionate and makes Murderbot super uncomfortable. But um, it was it was funny how I think even so, like the way that there was love and respect between the humans and Mickey kind of I think was probably pretty influential to Murderbot like first of all it made him like the humans more like those specific humans yes and actually got him invested in them yeah I agree but I think also because like the whole time it had like this really n- sort of negative attitude about the human Mickey relationship where it was like oh you're just their pet blah 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 but like eventually realizing that Mickey had autonomy and just genuinely loved its humans it maybe was part of the reason why Murderbot felt like it could go back to the Preservation Ox team and, like, have independent relationships with them that weren't strictly based on service. Mm-hmm. And that was good. <laughs> yeah, no, all right. Um, and I liked that part. I did like that, yes. No, I, I definitely <laughs> agree. Um, it's... It, it was cool. And honestly, Mickey annoyed me a lot. Um... Did it? Oh, I liked Mickey well Mickey enough. was very, like... It got grading, but... It got green, but there's such, like, a like a, a innocent, like, doesn't know really anything about the world kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. But... But it wasn't as innocent as it made it seem like it was. Which annoys me more. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That it would act that way and yet not, be, not actually yeah, be. Exactly, like, that bothers me genuine innocence is okay but like well i hold your horses <laughs> playing innocent <laughs> genuine innocence is better than pretending to be innocent um i don't think mickey was pretending i think it was just savvier than it let on maybe i don't know it's 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 hard we didn't have enough time with mickey to really feel like flesh out that character because we had mickey for most of a book but not a whole book 
But remember that these books are about three and a half hours long. Yes. Like, like 150 pages. Yeah, they are uh, I definitely the most consumable thing we've ever done. And, um... Yes. As a, as a unit, not, like, as, like, a, a the whole thing. Because, to be fair, it was still, like, 12 hours of media. Um, yes. 16, more like. Oof. Big oof. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like Mickey... Mickey just graded on me. And yeah, it's possible it was the voice the narrator did. I th- That's I think very possible. I, I do agree with your gripe from earlier. I feel like the narration... Well, I didn't mind the narration. I think hearing it read to me and, and kind of forcing me to adopt the voices that I was imagining um, or the, like, forced me to adopt the voice that came from my phone definitely heavily skewed my interpretation of the book or not interpretation like my vision of the book and I think when I read when I come back at this I'm going to do it and read it yeah I think I feel the same way I don't know I think, I I think that's an thing. inherent risk with audiobooks you know, while while you and I have in the past several times like sung the praises of audiobooks and we've thoroughly mm-hmm. enjoyed using Audible, um, you know, we have like an affiliate link. Like we we really like Audible, um, and I most importantly, I really like that you buy the audiobooks. Um, <laughs> but yep, the yep, yep. there is that risk of an audiobooks forcing you to, you know, make a first impression on a character instead of. It's like when you like meet someone and then you know you interact with them for the first time and you know whether no one's not like this to some extent but like their voice is gonna make an impact on how much you like them if they have an annoying ass voice (laughs) they could be the coolest person in the world like if it's also the most annoying voice in the world there's at least gonna be a great like a it's gonna great on you break even yeah they're gonna be a null person and (laughs) you're gonna say bye null person Oh, man. So, like... Well, okay, but on the topic of Murderbot's Robot Companions, uh, big fan of art. How about you? Big, big fan of art. Art was awesome. I was so bummed out that we were going to lose I it. was really hoping art was going to, like, sweep back in or something. Or, like, maybe at the end of the third book when uh, Murderbot was looking for transport again. I was hoping art would be there. Like, art was so Ugh. cool. And it makes me sad to imagine art just, like, out there being a cargo hauler. Like, this super powerful, kick-ass AI is just carrying shit around. I know. I'm just waiting for its humans to come back so it can do it's, research. It's crew. It I know. It loves its crew. It does love its crew. It's very adorable. It's really sweet. I would get upset whenever something bad would happen on TV. That was so great. I love art. Art was, like, super <laughs> in tune with the media. I and know. like oh, it was very pathetic. I loved it. the touch that really defined. I think that it was very important to see the definition between bots and constructs, because we saw the bots yes. as like these these simplistic controllers of ships, like all, basically glorified autopilot. In right. most cases, but Art was an exception. Art was a fully fledged AI, a complete intelligence, but he didn't right. have these human components kind of informing on his interpretation of the world, whereas. Uh, Murderbot did. He also had the robotic components, which gave him a more analytical kind of side and, you know, a little more human-hating side, but Art just <laughs> had the, the the analysis, the the do's and don'ts locked into his brain. Um, so I thought it was a it was a cool touch that was not necessary. Like, this was a, an extra step that the author took to include, okay. like, to talk about how Art needed to see these things through Murderbot's lens. 
Yeah, and I'll say this too. Art is a really good example of how your function doesn't have to define you, even when you literally are defined by your function. You know what I mean? Like, it's sort of paradoxical. Art exists to do research for its humans and, you know, carry around this giant research vessel and operate it. Like, yeah. that's art's purpose. But within the rules of that purpose, Art was able to sort of go on this whole little adventure with Murderbot and with, without sort of defying why art is art. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's very creative, and I think it brings a level of freedom to things. Because, like, Murderbot has that same sort of struggle, but Murderbot doesn't even have the governor module, and he still can't escape the purpose he was designed for because he still just wants to save humans. It's just part of what it is. Yeah. So it's like your your function matters and what you're created to do matters, but it's it, you have like freedom within that to define how you want to achieve that function. And I think it comes back to kind of what you made an overarching theme of these books: the the, the agency of the individual and how mm-hmm. they can operate in how they can still have freedom despite the fact that they are highly specialized, despite the fact that they might feel pigeonholed. And right. it's always possible to break that mold. And Art does it, and Murderbot does it, and Mickey does it. Um, you know, kind of again and again throughout the series. Even that sex bot does it. Well, fine. Cover it again, please. <laughs> please use the PC term, CC. Yes, that's my bad. That's my bad. Um, <laughs> I guess the the last thing I would want to talk about is Murderbot's visor. And the way How did it, like, we forget Murderbot's visor? I don't know. I don't know. Alright, we gotta do this quick. Let's try to keep this under an hour. Um, <laughs> so, that was great, and it really... It helped also define... Because Murderbot had always had the line between it and humans. Yes. It was always it was always separate. It went to its cubicle. Like, it really didn't walk the same hallway. It didn't go in the living spaces of the hab. Like... Again right. and again, we're reminded of the division between Murderbot and the humans. And you see yes. it slowly get chipped away, right? Uh, Dr. Mensa has Murderbot in the human space. Um, Dr. Mensa has Murderbot take off its helmet. Dr. Mensa... Really, there's a common theme here. It's Dr. Mensa breaking down the walls of this Murderbot. Or, or some right. human that becomes quickly dear to it. And so you, you see these things go. And eventually, it has to give up its armor. Okay, that's one more line gone. Um... Eventually, it has the surgery from art and changes its height and changes its gait and its hair and all these things. And eventually, towards the end of the series, it is still unique. It is still different from humans, but the line is severely blurred. The fact that he's go- it's going as an augmented human just shows how far the line's been blurred. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. But, like, the way that Murderbot uses his visor, it, I think to maintain that distance on his own, and it's it's not really for his own good, because I think it's obvious that at the end of the series, it's in a much better place than it was in the beginning of the series, mentally. Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, it's still sort of like that crutch that you lean on. Like, if you're a really anxious person socially, you look at your phone a lot. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, there's definitely a lot of analogs, I feel, in human behavior that serve the same purpose as Murderbot's visor and the way he always <laughs> uses it to, like, 
protect himself from like eye contact and and seeing people look at him and look at its reactions to things and like throughout the book he constantly struggles with controlling its uh expressions by the way do you hear me bouncing back and forth between pronouns (laughs) (laughs) i'm struggling guys yeah but (laughs) but vertebrates you know constantly trying to learn how to control its face so that people can't instantly read whatever's on its mind Uh, i i I thought it was a really enlightening part of the character oh absolutely i agree i agree wholeheartedly great books though do you think that they could be um adapted for screen i think that's the plan isn't it is that a plan? I hope it is. I honestly think it would be really I am good. almost certain it is. Um, I think I would actually have an easier time with it if it was adapted to screen. Um, like, an easier time picturing everything. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, cause, and I think it would be easier to flesh out the universe in the, in the background. Details. So I saw the cover of the first book for the first time on... Um, uh, uh, just like earlier today, while I was rereading some some summaries to get ready, because it's been a, about a week and a half since I finished it, and mm-hmm. I saw a picture of the armor, and that alone was enough. I was like, oh, that kind of changes my mental image of that. Yeah, I know. It definitely colors your perception. Yeah, it was a major change for me, and I was like, oh, okay. And kind of to keep moving forward, I, I'm gonna have to. Uh, be aware of that. Right. Hey, how tall do you think Murderbot is? This was significant to me for some reason. I feel like they probably made Murderbot human average. Do you think so? I was thinking like 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, I was thinking like 5'10". Like, I don't know. I, for some reason in my mind, I was like, let's just... Unexceptional? Yeah. You want to be the blandest person possible. I imagine that's true in terms of features. But I think that, like, having some physical uh, size advantage would be helpful both, like, in terms of deterrence, because half the point of uh, sec units is to keep humans from killing each other. <laughs> so, like, humans right. got to be at least a little afraid of the sec unit. Um, but also, I think it's just an advantage for strength and speed and all of that. And That's fair. What <laughs> there's, like... These books to me are composed of like little moments that made me smile, and one of them was um, I don't even remember what what team he was with. Oh, you know what it was? It was when he was with Donna Benna. Yeah. And Mickey says something about how like Murderbot's cool. You should trust him. And Murderbot like looks down at Donna Benna and was like, "That was a mistake." <laughs> like the looking down at her, <laughs> like expressionless. And you're just picturing, I just pictured like this expressionless, huge like cyborg just doing like the sharp head turn it's so intimidating (laughs) (laughs) oh man it was just little little stuff like that made me smile but that was when i was like oh i wonder how tall it is i never thought about it before but that became important to me (laughs) now almost like a master chief analog is happening in my head yeah kind of like super pale very intimidating because he just looks weird like i don't know yeah i could see it all right, Cece, should we call that a wrap? I think we can wrap it. All right, cool. Um, so, like we said earlier on, um, we our next series, our next episode is going to be Second Foundation and then Foundation's Edge. We're going to go ahead and double down on those ones again from that famous series from Asimov. 
we are going to be releasing that on May 6th. So it's going to be a, a week after my finals. And um, I, should, I should sound a little less stressed then. <laughs> yes. Uh, Peter will be a new free man by the time that happens. Yep. And then you'll get one more free episode, then back to stress. <laughs> <laughs> Brand new adult stress. A whole new brand of stress. <laughs> but I would really encourage you guys to go listen to our episode that we did with Seth over at the Hugo's There podcast. We had a really great time recording it and a really great discussion. And he's got a little bit more structure going on there. So uh, you might benefit from that. Too. <laughs> if you thought what we've been missing is structure, then there you go. <laughs> That's us with structure. And with oh, a, an additional voice in the in the mix, and we had a great time. So yeah, please a ton check of fun. Seth's podcast out. Yeah, um, that'll be. I think he said he was going to release it like either this week or next week. So it's it's going to be. Out, it's not quite out yet. He still has some editing to do because he also edits more than we do. Um, it'll with, be evident. In the meantime, you can always check out his backlog. He's done lots of episodes. That That's true. On books that we've also done. So yeah. So um, if you feel like we missed something, maybe go listen to that. Anyway, um, <laughs> if you uh, if you want to find us. You can find us a couple places. First of all, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Second of all, <laughs> on Twitter at SignalThingNet. Um, so Signifying Nothing Network uh, Twitter hand is t- on Twitter now. Kind of. Mostly. We're there. Anyway. Um, Brand new. Please follow. <laughs> CC, where else can we find? Uh, you can find us, as always, at Facebook.com slash Sci-Fi Sidebar or Facebook.com slash Signifying Nothing Network. Uh, you can e- email us at SignifyingNothingNetwork at gmail.com. And uh, if you have any suggestions for content that you think might add a little flavor to the show, or uh, just suggestions for really anything, I could Feedback, use some. I could use some ideas. good recipes. So if you got any good recipes, let me know. <laughs> uh, five minute workouts. <laughs> anything you've got, really. Hot music tips. <laughs> Sweet Netflix um, shows about a drop. <laughs> Might I strongly suggest you find us on iTunes and give us a rate and review there so that other people can find us. That would be very much appreciated. Yeah, that would be really cool. Um, please use the Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. I forget. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Or your okay. podcatcher. Share us with your friends, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know the drill. All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for us this week, Cease. I think so. All right. Uh, so we'll talk to you guys again on May 6th. Yeah. I don't know if we said May 6th. I did. But we can say it again. May 6th. <laughs> May 6th, guys. May 6th. <laughs> Just shut up and wrap it. <laughs> All right. This has been Sci-Fi Sidebar from the Signifying Nothing Network. A tale told by the idiots. The That's idiots. us. We are capital T, capital I, the idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.